Hello and welcome to Anam Radio. This week our composer is Pyotr Tchaikovsky and we hear one of his own favorite works, his Serenade for Strings of 1880. But the story of that work begins, in a sense, 12 years earlier, in the year 1868, when Tchaikovsky began putting together an anthology of Russian folk songs which he arranged for piano duet. These arrangements are very short, most are only 12 to 16 bars long, and harmonized quite simply so as not to draw attention from each melody's essential character. Fast forward to September 1880, and Tchaikovsky is finishing off a commission, a work to commemorate Russia's victory over Napoleon. It's the well-known 1812 Overture, and Tchaikovsky regards it as a piece of official claptrap, but he's giving it his best shot, if you'll pardon the pun. At the same time, he starts jotting down ideas for another piece, but he's not sure where they're heading. Will they become a string quartet, a symphony, Eventually, he realizes a serenade for a large string orchestra is the right avenue for these themes. A serenade will permit him to create a lush texture without having to take on the intellectual weight of a symphony. It all comes together very quickly, and by November 4th, the work is complete. Tchaikovsky is very pleased with the result and writes to his publisher, I love this serenade terribly and fervently hope that it might soon see the light of day. Well, it did, and it's never left the repertoire. So, Serenade for Strings. The first movement is called Peace in the Form of a Sonatina, and apparently Tchaikovsky regarded this movement as Mozartian. It may not sound very Mozartian to us now, but it certainly has a mercurial vivacity, so perhaps that's what Tchaikovsky was referring to. The second movement is one of Tchaikovsky's loveliest waltzes, and the third a very beautiful elegy. But the finale is where the Russian folk songs, which Tchaikovsky had arranged more than ten years earlier, come into play. He uses one of them, called On the Green Meadow, for the finale's slow introduction, and the other, called Under the Green Apple Tree, as the finale's main theme. So it's clear this very Russian finale is a rustic romp. Lastly, there are two features of the serenade I'd like to draw your attention to. The first is the beautiful transition from the third movement elegy to the finale. Tchaikovsky does not mark this attacker, and yet he sustains the mood seamlessly from one movement to the next. The elegy finishes on a very soft high D in the violins, and the same note actually begins the intro to the finale. It's beautifully done. And the second feature I love is the way Tchaikovsky recalls the serenade's opening theme right at the end of the piece. Now this was already an old trick by 1880, lots of composers had done it, Bach, Schubert and Liszt amongst them. But I always find Tchaikovsky's use of it particularly touching. We talk now to violinist Liam Oborn, who has played the serenade many times and points out that its huge popularity comes at a cost. Today we welcome to Anam Radio violinist Liam Oborn, who completed his time at Anam and is now in Auckland as a member of the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra. Now, Liam, that's a very famous hall that your orchestra performs in. It's the Auckland Town Hall. Tell us what it's like to perform and rehearse in that beautiful building. Yeah, it is a really fantastic concert hall. 
it sort of reminds me of a lot of the old 19th century, also European halls. It has, I think, a balcony as well as a circle, and the acoustics are really, really fantastic and quite a bit better than a lot of our dedicated concert halls back home. It's on my wish list of places to visit because, as you're probably aware, it was modelled on the original Gewandhaus in Leipzig. And that building, of course, was destroyed during the Second World War. So now the Auckland Town Hall is the best representation we have of the original Leipzig Gewandhaus. And yes, its acoustic is famous all over the world. Are you enjoying playing with that orchestra? Oh, absolutely. It's such a um, fantastic work environment. Everyone's very friendly. The repertoire that we have on the program for this year or that we had planned for this year before the whole um, pandemic um, sort of changed everything was really fantastic. All the greatest hits, really. It's just a really, really lovely place to start out a career in orchestral music. Well, congratulations. It's It's a wonderful position for you to have secured. Now, talking of greatest hits, we're going to be talking about Tchaikovsky's Serenade for Strings, which is a work that he loved. It was one of his own favourite works. And I wonder, is there anything in particular that you loved about this piece while you were learning it and performing it? It's one of those pieces that always comes up in string orchestras time and time again. I played it from when I was at school and uni and basically everywhere. For quite a long time, I stopped enjoying it because a lot of the performances that we did weren't exactly of the highest quality, but specifically this performance that we did last year really made me enjoy the piece again and appreciate all of its uh, features. Well, of course, that's the danger with a very popular work. You can play it so many times. And in fact, I remember many, many years ago, uh, an oboist from, I won't say which orchestra, but one of our Australian orchestras, saying that if she had to play Dvorak's New World Symphony again, she was going to probably jump off a cliff. And that, I thought, was rather sad. So I'm, I'm very happy that you found a new love for the Tchaikovsky Serenade, which was in this case directed by visiting artist Gregory asked, tell us a little of what you remember about Gregory. He was very inspirational. The way he led the orchestra was fantastic and he was a lot of fun to work with. He made a lot of jokes, which was always, always nice. And he really got us to work sort of as a um, chamber ensemble, more than perhaps an orchestra. With these serenades, they work really well if every musician is involved, if no one's following or anything like that. He was directing from the chair. He was, in fact, concertmaster. What are the challenges when you actually don't have a conductor standing up in front of you? And, And I have to point out, we had quite a large ensemble for this work, didn't we? This wasn't a small ensemble. Tchaikovsky's instructions were followed, and I think the full Anam string complement was involved in this performance. Yes, uh, we had a large orchestra and that does pose some challenges for playing without a conductor. Primarily, you have to make sure everyone can see all the principles and particularly Gregory. And it really, really requires everyone to listen very carefully to all the other parts, to not get too engrossed in your own notes and technical challenges. For the most part, it's listening and watching. And I think the greatest challenge for me is always just getting my head out of the music in this kind of setting and really just embracing the feeling of a large chamber ensemble. 
Well, I think you certainly managed to do that. It's a beautiful performance. And Liam, thanks very much for talking to us and all the best in Auckland. Thanks very much, Phil. Thanks for listening to Anam Radio. Our next episode is another great work for strings, but could not be more contrasting in content and inspiration. It's Richard Strauss's great outpouring of grief for 23 solo strings, Metamorphosen. And we talk to violinist and director, Laura Barton. <laughs>